lucky number seven of the Wit and Whiskey podcast. My name, of course, is Mark Rossetti Jr., the man they call Wally O. Co-anchoring this here vast multimedia empire with me is the suave, salmon-haired swami of the Wit and Whiskey cast, one DJ Gagnon. How you doing, DJ? Hey, not so bad, buddy. How you doing? All right. See, you know, I'm carrying over from last week. That's what they, in wrestling terms, that's a promo. Oh, it's very good. You're in rare form tonight, Mark. Well, you know, I'm in a good mood. I, I got Lex back. So, you know, because he was gone for a few days and I was very sad. Oh, that's very disappointing. But he he's returned and, and he's sitting in, you know, the wonderful uh, 1821 Summer Kitchen Studios that I have here. Uh, he's accompanying me as we record this evening. So uh, I'll try nice. to make it so that he doesn't, you know, make too much noise. It's good to hear that your dad didn't actually melt him. No, I, I think he did want to, but he didn't actually do it. My mother probably wouldn't let him. <laughs> That's good. Someone's going to rope him in. Yeah, you know, got to keep, got to pull on that leash a little bit every now and then. Right. How's your week? It was uh, pretty good. It was busy. Ended up doing a lot of local TV, which is always a joy. But we made it, you know. Uh, Zoom makes it so that even uh, my ugly mug could be presentable on TV, no matter what I'm wearing. And, you know, it was Labor Day or whatever, so we had a few barbecues, you know, with the, the family and whatnot, and now here we are doing doing what we're doing. Nice. What about you? What did, what did you do this week? Not a ton. I, I finished the library last weekend, and that was just a monumental effort. My dad and I were up in the attic for hours, so we just kind of, my wife and I just kind of hung out this weekend. We took some time off. Uh, we... Went and visited with some friends on Saturday. Social distance, of course. You know, weird times that it is. But we got to go swimming a little bit in the lake. We hung out, had some awesome food, chatted about all things, you know. Uh, whenever we get together with our, our friends up there, it's always... Uh, it's an interesting crapshoot of topics, and they're all really fascinating, but there's, like, there's no preparing for any of them. You know, we, we might talk comic books. We might talk representation we might have very serious discussions about politics it's all it's all good and it's all fun uh and, it, and it's always a nice break to kind of go up there and just hang out in nature for a little bit so yeah it was fun uh it was a good weekend got to relax a little bit lots of video game releases this past week yeah it's been a big week uh it's gonna carry over into well what's this coming week as well you know, it's a fun time to be a nerd right now, let me tell you. We even had the shock release, you know, of the DLC for The Outer Worlds. Uh, I mean, I, I until I saw an ad for it two weeks ago, I if you had a gun to my head, I would have swore that it was canceled when Microsoft bought Obsidian. But apparently it's not only real, it's almost finished. It's coming out this week, and it's quite large from what they tell me. So, What do you think hey, of that game? I liked it. I couldn't bring myself to finish it just because there was a million things to do. Like anything else, when I am left with almost infinite choices, I routinely choose to do nothing. I know I was the one, pretty much the only one in our little play group who enjoyed Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> I have something close to 200 hours in that game, and I haven't even made it to Tahiti yet. Jeez, man. <laughs> so the Outer Worlds is the same way. I think my character, Lefty Luther, good old Captain Lefty Luther, I think he's something like 
40, 45 hours in on a game that's supposed to take you like 22 hours, and I have no idea how much more of the story I have left to do. So I'm hoping that the DLC, it's going to be fourteen ninety nine, I believe I read. I'm hoping that that is going to be the catalyst, because it takes place before the end game. So I'm hoping that that'll be the catalyst to get me to finally finish that. Damn. Yeah, I I wish I liked it more, man. I, I was playing it the entire way through, and I just kept thinking, man, do I just wish this was New Vegas. Yeah, it definitely... You know, it had a lot of goodwill when it was released because it was Obsidian and because, you know, uh, Fallout 4 was a game, uh, mixed review game, shall we say, to put it put it nicely, a very polarizing game. It was, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and they even played it up in the trailers, you know, from the original studio that made Fallout and blah, blah, blah. And that got it a lot of goodwill, and I think that got it a lot of early release. Um, you know, last year, the wife actually got it for me for my birthday on the back of, you know, all of that. But it just, it didn't play like a Fallout game, which in of itself isn't bad. They tried to go their own way with it, which you should. You should try to do something original. But I think if it didn't have so much Fallout-esque build, you know, I, I, I think it was building itself to something that it was never going to be. If they had advertised it as, you know, more of an original style adventure and not Fallout in space, I think it would have, it wouldn't probably have sold as well, but I think it would have been more critically received, better critically received. I I can't really pinpoint what my problem with the game was. I mean, I finished it, I beat it, it was, it was solidly fine. I just, I don't remember anything about it. Yeah, there was very little that was memorable. I mean, just off the top of my head, you know, now, having played it, and I I believe I'm about halfway through the story, but having played it, the only thing I really remember is the the ship AI. Yeah, it was a good AI. And I think that's mostly because I think that's where AJ's going with Epic Zeppelin in our current (laughs) D&D campaign. But uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's going somewhere else with it. But that's just what, what I think when I hear him role play that character. Nice. As fun as it is to talk about video games, we don't actually do a video game review podcast. So, Mark. No, we don't. And that's probably a good thing because <laughs> our taste in video games is generally not popular. <laughs> no, it's, it's varied and sometimes strange. Yes. Back to the good old SSW and W. Uh, what are you drinking this week, man? Well, I, you know, I, I thought I had actually written in our format notes. I thought I was going to buy another bottle of Gunslinger's Rye. I, I do enjoy that. But when I went to the liquor store to pick it up, almost right next to the gun, you know, the ryes and the bourbons are right together. So almost right next to the Gunslinger's uh, on sale this week and sales in Pennsylvania liquor stores are rare because the governor's got to get his money. Uh, they actually had Larceny Bourbon was on sale. Ooh. And uh, if you are checking out our blog... You'll know that uh, for my recipe for a perfect Manhattan, I was using larceny as the bourbon component. Uh, so I figured, oh, what the hell, we'll review it solo. And I believe this is my first actual bourbon review. So it's pretty good. To me, anyway, it's more of a rye-tasting bourbon. And they tell me, you know, because it's 
the wheat is actually the secondary grain. It's not the primary grain, which is pretty rare for bourbons. Maker's Mark is pretty the pretty much the big one that does that, that does yeah. the blend. But Larceny does it too. And, you know, you, you taste some cinnamon, you taste some earthy tones, uh, some nutmeg. If you read reviews, people say they taste honey in it. I can't pick up any honey in it whatsoever. And that's a good thing because I don't really much care for, like, you know, really strong honey flavor. So I, I don't know. Um, I, I would say if you read that and you're a little weary, don't, don't be. Uh, I can't taste it. And it's, you know, it's a cool gimmick. It's a cool marketing game. You know, I love a good heist, whether it be a movie, <laughs> a video game, or just an actual, you know, robbery. I, I enjoy that. And uh, the bottle contains the story of John Fitzgerald, who allegedly was a treasury, well, he was a treasury agent uh, for the U.S. government back in the uh, pre and immediately post-prohibition days who allegedly used his government contacts and keys to get into warehouses and to siphon off uh, whiskey and bourbon from barrels stored in different places. And uh, they would often be referred to as Fitzgerald barrels if the seals were broken or whatever by the government. So, you know, it tells you the story on the bottle, and it's kind of a neat little thing if you're a history nerd like me, and it's not a bad bourbon. So, you know, give that a shot. Price point around here is normally about $30, $32. It was on sale this week for 25 so I jumped at it. That's awesome, man. What about you? What are you drinking this week, brother? I'm going to Scotland this week. I found a pretty affordable bottle of Glenlivet 12 uh, at the liquor store this week. And as listeners, you may have heard me in the past say that I'm not much of a Scotch guy, but... Uh, I feel like I'd be doing y'all a disservice if I didn't actually drink a few scotches throughout the course of this podcast. So I'm starting myself off easy. I am kind of steering away from like the Islay scotches, the the heavy peat. I haven't had a lot of luck with those in the past. Not to say that they aren't great, but, you know, same disclaimer that we have in our overs and unders. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean that it's not good. So I'm go- I, I picked up a small bottle. I think it's a 375 of the Glenlivet 12. It was 20 bucks at the liquor store. It was, it was a really good price point. And it's pretty good. It doesn't have that that kind of eau de bog that most of the scotches I don't like have. You know, they're not... Uh, I, I'm actually not detecting any peat, to be honest, whatsoever. I assume that's probably on purpose. Uh, but again, I'm very... <laughs> Very uneducated in the ways of scotch. It's good. It's it's a little fruity. It's, you know, this page is saying it's supposed to have some strong pineapple notes. And I feel like now that I, I've read it, I can kind of get it. But uh, I'm mostly tasting uh, wood and burning. Um, but the nice thing about it is it's got a nice smooth finish. It's, it's kind of, it's a little bit like creamy. I'm getting some vanilla on the nose. It's pretty, pretty fruity. Uh, so that's probably where the pineapple's coming in, but yeah, it's a single malt scotch. Uh, it's 12, uh, aged for 12 years in double oak. So it's European and American oak barrels. Uh, it's pretty good. I feel like anybody who's a scotch drinker is probably rolling their eyes right now. Cause it, this seems like a pretty pretty solid entry-level scotch to me and uh, I talked to some scotch friends of mine and they said if you're not a big fan of 
the 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 bog and the the peat and and that kind of taste stick with Speyside uh, whiskey. I believe I'm saying that right. Speyside scotches. And the, and uh, a buddy of mine recommended that anything that starts with Glen is probably a good way to start. So Glen live at twelve. It's pretty good. Pretty solid. I I would I would drink this again. I feel I must jump in and add one thing to your notes there. Uh, just speaking from someone who used to drink scotch fairly regularly, uh, you said it's a pretty good entry-level scotch. You're technically correct, but it's a pretty good entry-level single malt. Ah, uh, fair. Because, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it's entry-level, you know, mediocre or top shelf. Uh, single malt is worlds above any of the blends. <laughs> I mean, you got to go to the, the highest highs of the blends to get anything that can compete. So, you know, while yes, uh, that is kind of uh, near the bottom rung for a single malt, it is still a single malt. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the old Ferrari boxers and the 512s in the 80s were electrical nightmares and ugly as sin, but they're still a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> and that's still a single malt, so, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, I have nothing bad to say about it. As someone who definitely tends more towards rise in bourbons, this is this is this is a good way for me to onboard. And I feel like uh, that's kind of been my whiskey journey all throughout. Is I've a lot of people I know who started their whiskey journeys, they start in the well. I am lucky enough to be a little bit older and have friends like Mark who steered me away from the well and guide me towards things that are a decent price point and a good way to to onboard to whiskey. So uh, anything I've reviewed so far is generally, for me, falling into that, like, this is a good way to get your head around whiskey. Yes, and I I am a big fan as well of what I like to call good mediocre X, good mediocre rise, good mediocre scotches, good mediocre bourbons. You know, Larceny this week being a great example. Uh, It's certainly better than you know, uh, old times and old granddad and things like that, but it's not going to give you a run for some of the single cast things that are out there. But, you know, for the 25 28 30 $32 price point, which is, you know, doable even in a pandemic for the most part, you won't hate yourself for drinking it. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, the thing that kind of pulled my eye is it was one of the few things in the Scott shelves that wasn't, uh, a Johnny Walker, which is good. I use it for cocktails all the time, but also wasn't in one of those fancy like boxes or cylinders you generally get scotch in. So it's accessible. It is a solid scotch. I am still definitely a Ryan bourbon guy, but I, I'm i not going to kick this out of bed. I do miss when I used to drink scotch. I used to like Glenfiddich. And it was a triangular bottle that used to come in a triangular tube. <laughs> and basically, once you got it open, at least me, because I have you know giant meat hooks, you could never get the bottle back in because you'd always crush the top of the tube just so, and the triangular cap wouldn't fit back on the tube. <laughs> um, I think I actually have a set of glasses somewhere, and they're triangles. <laughs> so it was just a fun little gimmick. Oh, maybe maybe next week, that's what I'll review. I'll review Glenn Fittich. <clears throat> yeah, do that. Take me mean. back to my. No, I was going to say when my hair was long, but forget that. When I had hair, you know, <laughs> me back to those days. So, To be fair, I don't know that you've had much going on in the hair department since I met you. No, I, I, well, I started losing it in college. Uh, Lou, Lou could tell that story. <laughs> um, but I would actually, you know, come out of the shower drying my head and I'd be shedding like a St. Bernard. 
So <laughs> I, I want to say I was like 22, 23 when it really started to fall out. So no, I've been pretty thin for a long time. Nice. <laughs> now, let's get to our weekly topic here. This week, of course, we're doing martial arts and whiskey. So, you know, we last week we had choreographed the the more scripted simulated combat hand-to-hand combat and now this week dj is gonna take his turn and walk us through real actual (laughs) hand-to-hand combat so all right we've had our whiskey for the the second half of the title now let's go with uh martial arts so it's your week this week to educate me so just what exactly is martial arts? Go all Webster's Dictionary on us. Give us the nitty-gritty here. I thought about starting this whole thing with a Webster's Dictionary definition, but I got a good glass of whiskey in my hand, so we're just going to go pretty casual on this one. I can't claim true expertise over many things in my life, but martial arts is one of them. So a casual definition, martial arts is a universal term for any practice of hand-to-hand combat. And I really like the term martial arts. I don't generally like terms like combat training or hand-to-hand fighting. I I like martial arts. It's a solid term to describe a very broad category of styles and forms of hand-to-hand combat that take into account that there is artistic expression through these various styles, through these various forms. So rather than kind of give you a you know, Webster's Dictionary definition, let me, let me give you some, some highlights as to you know, w- what makes a martial art. Martial arts are varied. Every major co- country uh, throughout history has had its own martial art. We generally tend to think of East Asian martial arts, but I'm going to get into that later as to why uh, that may not be as accurate uh, an assumption as you might think. But generally, when we look at martial arts, we can kind of, we can be a bit reductive here, and we can say that all martial arts have four major pillars. In a martial art, there are four ways of attacks. There's striking, there's kicking, there's grappling, and there's felling. And... Every martial art in existence has a different kind of skill level in each of those four. I'll get into kind of what the separations are and what makes martial arts different, but if you take kind of a traditional standing martial art like karate and compare it to something like Brazilian capoeira, you'll see that capoeira is more about... They're a little bit stronger with their kicking, they're a little bit stronger with their rapid agility, and uh, they tend to have a good amount of felling going on, whereas karate is a standing art, and it's it excels at striking uh, and kicking. So from there, we can further classify martial arts in a traditional versus modern sense, Traditional schools and traditional federations tend to trace their lineage back, much like royalty in a a kingdom would, Uh, whereas modern schools tend to be okay with the fact that martial arts is (laughs) made up of a bunch of thieves. And I make his. That's my type of gimmick. All right. I know, right? I'm going to be completely honest here in a way that might piss off some people, but. As martial artists, we excel at theft. We take what somebody else has spent their entire life doing, we take it, we change it a little bit, and we call it our own. 
and modern schools, modern disciplines, modern martial arts, they tend to be okay with that sort of thing, whereas a traditional style tends to kind of expound on the mysticism of the martial art and the direct lineage for hundreds of years sort of stuff. Well, that's, I mean, that's pretty interesting because I imagine, and I mean, I, I have never, you know, aside from a few bar fights, I, I very rarely <laughs> have even thrown a punch, so I know nothing about martial arts. But I imagine that it's a lot like, you know, in racing, I could take you and put you in a car or put you in a simulator and explain to you how to get through corner X, but, you know, you're going to do it your own way. You know, you might get on the throttle a little bit earlier. You might get off the brakes a little bit earlier. You might take a slightly wider line to the apex. And, hey, that's okay. If you're still going quick, it doesn't really matter. So I imagine it's sort of the same way there. You know, if you adapt a, a throw just a certain way or if you adapt a hold just a certain way, as long as the end result's the same, it doesn't really matter, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, to bring it to that car analogy, right? Like one person may rely more on engine braking. Somebody might rely more on a, a hard brake. Somebody else Hello. might, <laughs> right? Somebody else might, might kind of throw the, the emergency brake instead to kind of, you know, drift it in. And, and there's a lot, a lot of like metaphors there. But yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said about taking something and making it your own. I'm a huge proponent of that. And there's there's other ways to kind of think about martial arts, right? There's uh, soft styles versus hard styles. There's throwing arts. There's uh, there's grappling arts. Um, I I really like the comparison soft to hard. Soft style being more of that kind of crunchy feel where you're manipulating energy and you're using your opponent's energy against them. You roll with the punches instead of meeting them head on. Whereas hard style is very hard blocks, hard punches, hard kicks, you're, you're meeting the aggression with an equal amount of aggression to, to kind of deter any furthering of the fight. Hey, Mike Tyson said it best. Everybody's got a plan to like a punch in the face. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, I want to kind of end this, like what the hell is martial arts things with a little bit more of that crunchy artistic style. Um, and, and this gets a little bit into the history, but Mark, have you ever heard of the Shaolin Temple? Only through Mortal Kombat, I'm ashamed to admit. <laughs> it's but fair. Yes, sort of. I have, I know so much about the Shaolin Temple now that I actually can't speak much to it because I've read so much, it's hard to sort fact from fiction. Okay. Um, but uh, for anybody who's curious about martial arts and wants to know more of the history, I highly recommend go out and do some research. Go out and read read some history about it. If you're curious about the mysticism, there's a really, uh, it's going to sound silly, but there's a really great children's book series called The Five Ancestors. It's seven little books. And they talk a lot about what life would have been like during those during the time of the Shaolin Temple being prominent. You'll be interested, Mark. The Shaolin Temple has been burned to the ground at least twice because it supported uh, one or the other political regime in China. Yeah, there, the, especially during the Chinese civil. Well, there's been several Chinese civil wars, but you know when you go back, even in the last 250 years, uh, scorched earth was a prominent policy, uh, no matter who was what regime was in charge at the given time. So I, I can believe that easily. Yeah, and and as somebody who is very very passionate about the martial arts, I can't I can't think of a greater tragedy that wasn't a genocide. In history, because I mean, 
yes, there are wars and there are horrible things that happen throughout history, but the burning of the Shaolin Temple lost us knowledge, like on par with the burning with the the loss of the Library of Alexandria. I was about to interject there, but all right, if you equate the two of them, I'll allow this to continue. Yeah, go on. Um, and that that's what I'm equating here. If for for world knowledge, the Library of Alexandria obviously horribly tragic, but for knowledge of martial arts, it. You talk a lot about in history, like the cradle of civilization and the cradle of martial arts is that Chinese tradition. And of course, uh, there are tons of regional arts that were developed on their own. But when you talk about 70, 80% of modern martial arts, they have all been influenced in small and or large ways by the Shaolin tradition and the burning of the Shaolin temple lost us so much knowledge to the extent that that there was a Shaolin tradition. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Shaolin Temple was a, a Kung Fu kind of... It, it was where monks trained in Kung Fu, and it, it was known for producing martial artists. And in Kung Fu, uh, they would study animals to develop their, their own unique martial arts styles. Uh, do you know how many Shaolin animals survived the burnings of the temple? I think I do because I think you wrote it in our notes. Oh, no, you didn't. Okay, that was a different number. Uh, no, I don't. How many survived? Only five of the animals survived intact with a few of the... the a few animals survived in part. So the five remaining Shaolin animals are dragon, tiger, leopard crane and snake and that's okay, it i've heard of crane okay yeah those are the only those are the only five that survived intact the the others that survived in a lesser degree are like monkey eagle mantis you know things like that but all of these are very specific martial arts styles and i kind of gloss over what they mean because i've been studying martial arts for a quarter century but you know if you can if you've seen kung fu movies if you've seen any martial arts demonstrations, you can detect different uh, influences out of the animals. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, I, I definitely took the long way around, but that's kind of what martial arts is. Well, all right, well, that, that's a very cool little introduction here. You, you whetted our palates. So you touched on it before. We, we know for the most part when you think martial arts, you think Eastern Asia, but where does exactly does everything come from here? Okay. So there's, let's get the East Asian stuff out of the way. Not to say that it's not highly important and amazing, but I feel like that's the, everybody knows about China and Japan, right? So we'll start with the cradle. We'll start with China. And I am by no means being comprehensive here. There are a ton of regional martial arts in China. Uh, I'm only going to cover two. And I don't feel like I'm giving China a fair shake here, but uh, we're, we're kind of chopped for time here. So I'll cover Kung Fu and Wushu. Now we talked a little bit about Kung Fu. It's very, it's a very traditional Chinese martial art. It's got a lot of animal influences. Uh, there's a lot of really amazing 
like technique and form names and kung fu and and, and a lot of that stuff has been uh, translated into their successive styles that have come later. You know, amazing stuff like Nine Storms, Swift Tigers, Stature of the Crane, you know, ama- amazing things that, you know, you're like, oh my god, that sounds so cool. Monkey Smashes the Coconut. Um <laughs> And, and then, well, hey, you know, he was hungry. He was, he was. And then we've got we've got Wushu, and Wushu is I could do multiple episodes on Wushu. I'd have to do some solid research to do so, but there's so much history, both kung fu and Wushu. But Wushu, interestingly enough, was kind of brought about by the Chinese government. You know, you, you don't generally think about government and politics being involved in martial arts. But Wushu was an an incredibly successful attempt by the Chinese government to standardize martial arts across the country. And Wushu is the reason I'm not talking about a lot of those regional uh, martial arts, because a lot of them have been subsumed into this state-recognized martial arts form, which is Wushu. And there are only two styles of Wushu. There's Northern Wushu and Southern Wushu. And I am sure that I will get in a lot of trouble for saying that. Just please take the disclaimer that I have studied Wushu a very small amount. And uh, I do not know the ins and outs of the history here. Uh, But Wushu was an attempt by the Chinese government to, like I said, standardize martial arts. And it was formulated in 1949. And a lot of these regional styles got kind of collapsed. You know, they, they... they handpicked what they wanted out of these regional styles and they created a state-recognized sport slash art form that was standardized across the country. There's Northern Wushu and Southern Wushu, and the only reason why those two haven't been combined is because it's two different regions in the country and the, you've got different climates. So you know, generally, Northern Wushu is different than Southern Wushu. One of them wears shoes. Uh, there's some really interesting history there. And so I bring it back to names you might know and love. Jet Li is a practitioner of Wushu. Uh, For anybody who has seen any Jet Li movies, you know, he's he's doing Wushu. All right, well, let me me interrupt you there, just touch on a few points here. Number one, speaking solely from a historian's point of view, this sounds like it has Mao Zedong's fingerprints all over it. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds like the type of thing he would just be all about. Oh, um, probably. Uh, but number two, you know, you mentioned Jet Li there. As a historian, absolutely nothing infuriates me more than going to a movie that is supposed to, you know, document some historical event or some historical person because 98 percent of the time if not more they just butcher everything so you know Jet Li you know and and other martial artists you know just because you mentioned Jet Li that's just where I'm going to jump off on how accurate is it in film like do do they take great strides is it Hollywoodized you know how is it it's such a hard question to answer man but uh, okay my uh, three of my favorite actors of all times are Bruce Lee Jackie Chan and Jet Li Uh, for obvious reasons I'm a huge martial artist I love martial arts actors And if you look across the board, Jet Li is an actual Wushu practitioner. Uh, 
I can't say as are Jackie Chan and, and Bruce Lee, but they are actual practitioners of their own styles. Bruce Lee, it's a form of Kung Fu. He kind of made it his own. Uh, I, I never remember the name of it. it. It slips out my head as soon as I read it again. Uh, Jackie Chan practiced Jeet Kune Do, which is another Chinese martial art. And all three of them are highly skilled practitioners. They do their own stunts. They, they work with the fight choreographers. Obviously, the movie The One with Jet Li is a little um, <laughs> Hollywoodized. Uh, he's fighting his, his himself in other dimensions. So, yeah, in terms of accuracy, martial arts is not something that lends itself alone to the screen very well. It's very impressive in a competition, but... Nobody wants to watch two hours of straight-up martial arts unless you're a martial arts nerd. So I, I would say if you are looking for, for complete martial arts accuracy in film, you're going to be disappointed most of the time. But stick with the three I, I said and check out any of uh, Z Zhang's films, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, House of the Flying Daggers, Hero is another one. There are real martial arts happening in those films. Same thing with anything by Jackie Chan, with Bruce Lee, with Jet Li, and there are a number of other martial artists out there. Um, I mean, here in the U.S., we all know about Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was a martial artist, and he knew his stuff. He's not 100% doing real martial arts, but who doesn't love watching, you know, Walker, Texas Ranger? So... (laughs) uh, Accuracy, yeah, there's there's some accuracy, but it would be extremely hard for a non-practitioner to tell at times where the Hollywood starts and the martial arts end. I recommend if you want if you want accuracy, watch the old stuff. Watch Bruce Lee's movies. Uh, there's incredibly sadly only a short catalog. You know, Enter the Dragon. Everyone knows Enter the Dragon. Got some of Jackie Chan's older stuff. Anything that was dubbed from Chinese, uh, or you can get subtitled, is a lot closer to accurate. He was younger. He was doing a lot of his own stunts. Uh, Same thing with Jet Li. Jet Li got into Hollywood pretty young, so, like, you know, if you watch Lethal Weapon 4, you can see a bit of real martial arts in there. Oh, that's right. He was in that. He was, yeah. So, yeah, there is definitely accuracy in some of the Hollywood stuff. It's a percentage. I mean... I'm going to break kayfabe here a little bit. Oh, no. For any of you who, who are huge fans of the Karate Kid, <gasps> that kick he does at the, the end... Don't do it. It's Don't blockable. It. You oh. can block that shit. I have blocked it multiple times in sparring. It's actually a running joke in my dojo about how it's not unblockable at all. For, for those of you playing the home game, it's called a stepping stool kick, and it's very easy to avoid. This makes me sad. <laughs> Although I'm sure you'll be shocked to know that when I was a kid, I was rooting for the Cobra Kai. I, you always root for the villains. I shouldn't be surprised. All right. Well, that that's China. Take us to Japan now. Okay. Let's so the grand tour here. Japan, I actually know a fair amount about because one of my two styles is Shorinu Karate. So I want to leave Karate for last. Shotokan and Judo are also two big uh, Japanese arts. I'm not going to go into every Japanese martial art because there's uh, kendo, which is more, you know, it's become something of an after school program that you can 
you can learn. It's still a very amazing martial art. I wish there were a kendo school around here I could pick up. Shotokan is, it's very close to karate in some ways. Judo is kind of the big Japanese throwing art. For anybody who has ever seen like seen or heard of judo, it's all about like you just pick that guy up and throw him across the room. It's it's incredibly impressive to watch, and honestly, I don't think my body could hold up in judo these days. So, uh, it, it, judo is fascinating. It's a felling art. Shotokan and karate are both hard styles or hard traditional styles. I I don't know a ton about Shotokan. I only really know one Shotokan form and. Uh, I've got a karate version and a Shotokan version, so... But let's talk about karate. Everybody who w- was alive in the 90s and the 80s knows what the hell karate is. 80s and 90s in the United States... Here's some history for you, Mark. Um, Hit me. The, the, the martial art that everybody wanted to learn was karate. It's true. A- 70s, I'm 80s, 90s. Yeah, uh, everybody wanted to know it. Towards the end of the 90s into the 2000s, Taekwondo kind of took over that role a little bit. You know, we're still in that the East Asian conversation here. So Taekwondo is South Korean uh, and is known for its extremely impressive kicks. And here, here's your uh, first real bit of history. Mark, do you know what the first martial art to enter the Olympics ever was? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but if I had to take a guess... I mean, I assume we're leading down the karate path, but if I had to guess off the top of my head, you know, without you leading me, I would have said that it would have been judo just because the Greeks love to throw people. It's actually funny. It's a trick question. It was technically wrestling back in 708 BC. Yeah, okay. Um, But the, you know, what we consider martial arts today, right? Because I'm not talking about wrestling. I'm not talking about boxing. I'm not talking about any of the... I'm actually not even going to talk about MMA. That MMA, UFC, that's going to be its own episode that we can talk about. So what we can... in for that. Yeah. What we consider martial arts today, you know, if you say martial arts and people think, you know, people in a karate uniform kicking and punching. Of those styles, the first one to be introduced was Taekwondo. Uh, Taekwondo is an official Olympic program, and it was first introduced at the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. Uh, that and late. Yeah, really? yeah, it's kind of crazy. It it was introduced as a demo sport in 1988 in Seoul and 1992 in Barcelona before f- officially becoming part of the, I believe, Summer Olympics uh, for in uh, 2000 in Sydney. And this is where I get to talk about karate, which is one of my great loves. To tie off the Olympics angle, karate, distinct from Taekwondo, is entering the Summer Olympics this year, which is going to happen in 2021. Okay. Well, that would make sense being that it's in Tokyo. Yeah, it's, you know, in Tokyo and during a pandemic. So I actually looked it up and it's super cool. Everybody go check it out. Karate is entering as a, you can do sparring and you can do form work. So I I could try out for an, an American Olympic team doing just straight up form demonstration, which is... I'm never going to do, uh, but that's completely fascinating to me. Karate. It, it, karate is one of those big old traditional styles. Honestly, anything coming out of China and Japan is likely a traditional style. Wushu kind of being that, that offshoot where it was officially formed in 1949. Karate officially 
goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. The furthest back I was able to trace it back was early to mid 1700s. So that that kind of, you know, pre-American history is is the the eras we're talking about here. There are big names in traditional karate, uh Kusanku and Chinto or are two really big names of practitioners of a Japanese martial art. And if you study a Japanese martial art for long enough, you will inevitably be taught a form named after each of those two practitioners. Kusanku and Chinto both are uh, traditional forms, and most styles of karate have them in the upper echelons of the black belts. Back in 1750, uh, it was originally called Tei, and it started with this guy named Tode Sakugawa. He, he was a, a samurai and a, a warrior. Tode is a term of respect for a warrior back then, and that's as far back uh, as I can trace the lineage. Uh, Tode Sakugawa, and he taught down... And, and the lineage goes down, down, down into the Matsumura clan, which is the orthodox federation that I trained in, and down into uh, Master Soken, and then the Grandmaster... And the you know my sensei that I I trained in for years, and uh, this is the last time I'm gonna do a lineage because guys I've been practicing this shit for so long, and nothing is as boring as tracing back <laughs> dudes you cannot remember their names five minutes later. Hey, um, some of us make a living out of that. And it's totally fine. <laughs> uh, but to to be fair to the format of our podcast, I wouldn't be me if I didn't tell you that this shit just. Falls out of my head. There's parts of history. There's parts of the history that I find fascinating. That the the way that it was passed down was generally from one person to another person until the the mid 1800s, where somebody had the bright idea of opening a school. So like there was real risk in just losing the art for like a hundred years. There is one aspect of traditional Shorinru karate history that I really really loved. And I don't have the dates on this one because I'm not a historian. But the the apographal story, as it as it goes, is that there was a a man named Chinto on Okinawa who he didn't work. He didn't. He wasn't really a villager. He he didn't partake in in society. He like lived in a cave on the beach, and he would just steal shit. And the town couldn't stop him from stealing shit. He was really good at stealing shit. He was really good at getting out with anybody noticing. He would steal clothes and 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 fruit and food and and livestock. And so finally, the local martial arts master visited him and said, "Dude, you gotta knock this off. You gotta stop stealing shit." And Shinto was like, "Well, I don't really want to do that." Okay, bye. And the the martial arts master, who I can trace my karate lineage up th- through, was like, "All right, dude, how about this? You train me in it, something uh, martial arts related, and I will make sure that you get fed and you don't have to steal shit anymore. And maybe you can t- come teach some of my students." And Chento was like, "Actually, that sounds pretty good. I don't really want to go to you know." whatever amounts to jail around here. And he taught the the warrior the form Chinto, which is uh, one of my personal favorites. So a nice little apocryphal story there. Uh, a, a thief enters the mix. 
It's never been the same since. It's so true. Of a peckish rogue entering the picture. It's so good. So I study Shorinru. There are many other styles of karate out there. There's Ishinru, there's Goju-ru. Every form of karate can be traced back to the, the Japanese island of Okinawa. There's a lot of really interesting history out there about the Japanese samurai coming over from the mainland and taking over Okinawa as one of its kind of territories. Uh, so if, you, if you're curious about the history of it, there's a lot of really good books out there you can check out. But there's, we talked a lot about East Asia, right? We got South Korea with Taekwondo. We got China. We got Japan. There's so many other countries out there that have their own martial arts. Brazil is a, a huge uh, bed of martial arts. There is an argument that could be made that South American martial arts have a lot of influences from China and Japan. Uh, because a number of people emigrated from China and Japan to like uh, Argentina and Brazil and kind of brought some of the knowledge with them. Uh, but honestly, it's been hundreds of years since something like that happened, and styles like capoeira and jiu-jitsu are unrecognizable from karate and kung fu and, and, and those other styles. Um, uh, jiu-jitsu is the new hot shit today. Uh, yes, it is. It, it is what karate was back in the 90s. Everybody wants to learn jiu-jitsu. I have a great deal of respect for any martial artist out there who isn't a pompous ass. And I know a lot of really great jiu-jitsu practitioners. Uh, I got quite a few friends who are. It is a fascinating martial art. It is not for me. I have a great deal of respect for it and would never talk down about it. Uh, I just... I've got shoulder issues and knee problems and back issues, and I, there's no way rolling around on a mat with another dude while he tries to rip my arm off is in my future. <laughs> but nothing but love, guys. Jiu-Jitsu is fascinating. It's a big part of mixed martial arts today. Uh, generally, if you are going to join as a UFC fighter, uh, Jiu-Jitsu is one of the core tenets. It's one of the few solid grappling arts, and grappling is, is incredibly important to MMA and UFC. But outside Brazil, I, I believe didn't Gracie win the first UFC? Like when it actually was a one-on-one tournament. I think he did. I, I believe he did. But uh, c- continue. Yeah, uh, jiu-jitsu is fascinating. It's got its own lineage. The lineage is a bit younger than some of the East Asian martial arts. You know, you're talking 1900s rather than 1700s, but. By no means should you dismiss something because it's younger. Jiu-Jitsu is fascinating and amazing, and I could not fight most of them. So, But then you know, you take a trip to Thailand, you've got Muay Thai or, or Thai boxing or Thai kickboxing. Uh, I wouldn't want to fight somebody who knows Muay Thai. Uh, no, yeah. I, I went through a kickboxing phase just watching it on TV. It used to be on like ESPN 12 or whatever, and just... Holy shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I hurt watching it. Oh, yeah. Honestly, for for me, where I'd put my money, the most dangerous martial arts out there are Muay Thai and Krav Maga from Israel. Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, <laughs> hang on. Israel. Yeah. Like, this is like, what, like secret IDF shit here? Hang on. Well, I, I, I didn't know any of this. Go good, hit me with this one. Uh, so Krav Maga is not actually some secret, but yes, it was created by the IDF. <laughs> Of course um, it was. <laughs> the loosest equivalent I can make here is the United States has the McMap program through the Marine Corps. I I don't know much about McMap, to be honest. Uh, my brother's a Marine and has gone up through the ranks. But I, I can honestly tell you, I've sparred my brother once since he took uh, McMap. 
and I, I'm okay. He choked me out once. I'm good. <laughs> I, 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 I'm okay not being the toughest shit out there, to, to be completely honest. But between McMap, Muay and Krav Maga, there is always going to be somebody bigger and, and, and who wants it more than I do. But yeah, Krav Maga is a, an extremely dangerous martial art. And I say that with nothing but love. I know quite a few people who study Krav Maga, and it is, it's impressive. I don't think I could do it. It's high aggression, high energy. Both Muay Thai and Krav Maga tend to go for 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 shots that generally some of the softer styles, uh, like what I study today, generally avoid. You know, n- knees, dislocations. Things that are going to make sure that whoever you're fighting isn't going to necessarily walk away anytime soon. So, yeah, Krav Maga being developed by the IDF should not surprise anybody. I know what YouTube rabbit hole I'm going down tonight. Exactly. And that brings us to good old US of A. And so here's my hot take. The United States doesn't really have its own martial arts. And I say that completely knowing that I'm about to disprove myself, but... One of the things that we have is heavyweight boxing, and that's not really. I mean, it's. I guess it is. It's true, and it's a martial art, but it's not really. Yeah, with with what we're going. Yeah, to be fair to the U.S., quite a bit of what we have is something that we took from another culture, and arguably either improved on or just changed. So a lot, for instance. Yeah, pizza. So. United States martial arts, we get things like kickboxing. And if you're not studying Muay Thai, you know, kickboxing today is seen as more of a like cardio workout, but it is a martial art. There's techniques, there's some shit that I don't want to fuck around with. And you've got uh, offshoots of other martial arts or developments or combining of other martial arts. You know, this is the birthplace of UFC, of, of MMA. This is where we. Uh, this is where we take what other people do and we mix it into something different and see what we get. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it sucks. I could go into quite a bit talking about the Americanization of martial arts, but I think suffice to say we've got styles like American Kempo and Shaolin Kempo, both of which are Kempo Karate styles. You know, a 1940 American Kempo, you got like James Matos and and Shaolin Kempo, uh, 1968, got Fred Villari on the West Coast, and then Nick Serio brings it over to the East Coast in the 90s. Uh, Shaolin Kempo is what I study now. Uh, it's a it's a softer style. It combines some principles out of karate with some of the common sense and, and street knowledge of like Hawaiian street fighting. It's got a lot of kung fu influences. It's it's fantastic. Um, it was and- actually really cool in uh, last fall. Uh, DJ and a few other friends came down and crashed with me for about a week, and DJ was studying for his black belt test at the time. <laughs> yes. And so uh, every day for about an what was it an hour, two hours, however long it was, uh, while we were all in here drinking ourselves uh, into mental in- incapacity, DJ would go out on my lawn and he was practicing his techniques. And it was really cool. It was something, you know, you'd see in an old David Carradine flick or something, you know, like the great warrior, you know, honing his skills in the garden. It was, it was pretty cool. 
Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I I'm in it for the art and and the the form at this point, and also weaponry. But uh, I am only talking empty hand today. And, and lastly, you know, UFC MMA big deal. We, we get and they are a big deal. I'm not being flippant. They're they're fantastic and wonderful and did a lot for the art. But we've also like you know we've taken an offshoot of jujitsu and we've created small circle jujitsu, which is jujitsu for those of us who don't want to tumble. You know, it's it's joint locks and <laughs> it's more of a standing art and it's fascinating. Uh, so that that's kind of that's basically the the regional you know what we got out there. There's a lot more, but it's a podcast, guys. I can't cover everything. No, and and you know I know we're getting a little crunch for time, so we won't go into some of the primary differences in styles here, but we'll just do a very, very quick lightning round. I'm going to pick one of these, you know, strengths and weaknesses that you, that you were talking about earlier. And you just really quick, tell me what martial art I want to study. Fair. Uh, 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 Leg kicks, leg strikes. Uh, Kicks, uh, Muay Thai, Taekwondo, both are really good at it. Something well-rounded like Kempo can, can get you there too. Grappling. (laughs) <laughs> jiu-jitsu uh small circle jiu-jitsu if you don't want to be rolling but jiu-jitsu there's there's others out there but honestly it's it's the new hot shit go learn jiu-jitsu uh striking with your arms and your hands karate and uh i guess you you, you threw something in there that I, I i really liked uh you talked about dislocations if i'm interested <laughs> in dislocations where, where am i going if you're interested in dislocations uh small circle jujitsu will get you there joint locks in wushu will get you there uh, there's an offshoot uh, there, there's, I shouldn't say offshoot. There is another Chinese martial art called Chinna that is absolutely fantastic at joint locks and dislocations. If you really want to get aggressive and you're willing to put in the the time to tone your body for it, Krav Maga. God, that's going to be such a YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as you no doubt have, have figured out by now, uh, DJ knows his shit, and it's not all theory. It's the practice, too. Why, why don't you just really quick to wrap us up, why don't you run down your own little personal CV here? All right, so uh, I've been studying. This is my 26th year as a practitioner of martial arts. I hold a fourth-degree black belt in Shorinru traditional karate. I hold a first-degree black belt in Shaolin Kempo. I've studied a little bit of Wushu, a little bit of Aikido. Not enough to, to you know sneeze at, but... I, I know a little bit. My specialization right now is is traditional martial arts weaponry. Um, my my weapon of choice for anybody who's curious is called the John. Uh, it's a Chinese broadsword, so check that out. It is not the patron of a prostitute. No. I made that mistake once. <laughs> Don't ask for one in a back alley weapon shop. Never mind. <laughs> If that makes it to air, it'll be a miracle. I think we're running a little bit long here, but that kind of brings us to the end of our martial arts and whiskey podcast. So uh, thank you, dear listeners. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, we'd love you to like, rate, subscribe. Uh, we're up on iTunes and Spotify now. So if you could throw us a rating, that that really helps us kind of get up in the charts a little bit and, and signal boosts our, our, our little show here. Yeah, yeah. So we've got a, a website, www.thewitandwhiskeycast.com. Uh, we're out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're taking a look at at Podbean and, and some other stuff. I, I'm, I'm contemplating what it might take to get us on iHeartRadio. Uh, that might be a, a little bit higher of a fruit for us to catch. 
Uh, but we, That'll be season two. Yeah, yeah, season two, iHeartRadio. But yeah, we come out Friday mornings. Uh, we generally try to have some, some social media posts that go up there. So if you uh, would like to kind of find out what's happening, we're on Facebook and Instagram, both of them at The Wit and Whiskey Cast. That's wit without an H and whiskey with an E. And uh, we do uh, we do follow these. I, I primarily run the the Facebook, and DJ primarily handles the Insta. But you know, if you throw something up there for one of us or the other, we'll make sure we see it. Don't worry. Yeah, definitely. And we are uh, at Gmail at the Wit and Whiskey Cast at Gmail dot com. So. If you have any topics you'd want us to do or you recommend any whiskeys that we try, honestly, we'll try anything as long as it's got a decent price point. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to if you want to even send something that you think is terrible, send it on over. We'll do a tale from the well. Yeah, we have very little fear when it comes to stuff like that. So it's true. Mark, what are we going to talk about next week? Am I throwing you the topics or are you throwing me the topics? Well, I, I, I'll be brutally honest. Uh, I lost track because I know we, I think the last time we did the topics was before we did wrestling. And then we said, well, if we we're going to do a, a fake martial art, we should do real martial arts. So <laughs> I, I don't even know who the hell's turn it is. All right. So, well, why don't I throw you three? All right. Hit me. All right. Comic books. Ooh. Which is going to be a multi-part and we're not going to do them all in a row. No. <laughs> Let's see. How about anime? That'd be another multi-part, but all right. And Legos. Well, I'm thinking just to save ourselves hours and hours of research and save our listeners, you know, a few a few days of their lives when we add all the episodes together. For next week, let's do anime, but let's do it like we did. And I'm saying this knowing full well that, you know, the last time we tried this, it was a multi-part episode, but we'll get better at it this time. Let's pick three each. Okay. And we'll discuss what we liked and or didn't like about them. And since we have one in the books, we shouldn't go, you know, two and a half days like we did for our childhood. (laughs) We have definitely gotten into a better rhythm, if I may say so. We have. So, all right, next week's going to be anime and whiskey. Um, we're each going to pick three. What, you know, you've listened to us for seven weeks now. What do you think we're going to pick? Let us know on social media or on email. Take your guesses. And, hey, if somebody submits something and you're right, we'll give you some props on the air. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, we don't have any cool gifts to give out, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a shout-out. I will Zoom call you and just be awkward. How's that? <laughs> If somebody could figure out one of my three animes, I will Zoom call you and just be awkward. Uh, you did name one, so you can't actually do that one, I would say. All right. Well, if you could do two, because I'm going <laughs> to do that one. If you could name two. So if you could name anything other th- than Big O that Mark likes. Yes. If you could name anything other than Big O, and I'm going to drop one on y'all next week that is is going to make your jaws just absolutely drop. The uh, The one that my wife just hates with a fiery passion of a thousand suns and it's going to be hysterical i can't imagine annie hitting every anything so this is oh she hates this one (laughs) good well uh we also want to just give a huge shout out to nuno henry silva for our intro and outro music he's pretty amazing guys so uh yeah uh there's some links to his soundcloud in the show notes and uh we're gonna have to have him on the podcast at some point 
We are, because that's going to be a lot of fun, because I know you dabble with guitar, I dabble with bass guitar, neither one of us, I, I, I think I speak for you when I say this, neither one of us really does anything more than just sort of fiddle in our spare time. Yeah. So to have somebody that knows what the hell they're doing and has actually released albums and, you know, that's going to be really educational. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fascinating. But until next time, cheers, guys. Salud. Salud.